All right. Hello, Idiots on Parade, the Too Ugly for TV podcast. Bonus podcast of sorts. Uh, listeners, if you have ever listened to this before, or more specifically listened to the uh, previous episode, the last episode, I have no clue what number it was. At the very end, I said I was reading a book called Camelot's End by an author named John Ward. Uh, it's Kennedy versus Carter and the fight that broke the Dem- Democratic Party about... Uh, Edward Kennedy making a run for the presidency in 1980, even though Carter was already present. He challenged uh, a president from his own side of the political aisle, and uh, I I said, I'm reading the book, I recommend the book, and uh, I I mentioned it to a friend that has been on this podcast before, an Irishman who immigrated to Iowa for reasons unknown. Uh, I'm assuming it was a woman, because I know it was a woman, And, and... Here's how my life works, because I I'm, I'm guess I'm stupid. I have no idea. I am still reading the book. I'm, I'm very close to the end. I mentioned it to Colin two days ago, and he goes, oh, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll pick it up. And the next day says, oh, I'm almost done. And this morning says, yeah, I finished it. And so he read a book in two days that I've taken. I had to renew it from the library. And Colin came on today to discuss Camelot's end, Kennedy versus Carter, and the fight that broke the Democratic party hi colin hi nathan that was your intro right there uh that was long but i i'm I, the reason i pointed that one thing out is is i'm not stunned but it's like jesus goddamn christ you you tore through this book in a day and a half yeah and it was um i'd read a book similar to it ages ago and uh, it was it's like it's one of those things whereby uh when you when you brought up there it was like i presumed that it was the same book that i'd read that you'd had up there uh, so when I found out it was another book and I was just uh, mad into it. So yeah, I, t- I totally tore into it. I, I think it's it, that whole election period, like everything through 76 and 80 in America is nuts. Well, I mean, it's still nuts. I mean, it, 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 very few elections are not nuts. You go to 92 and yeah. Ross Perot throwing a uh, wrench into the, the thing. Uh, you go to 2000 and Florida fucking it up for everybody. It's, it's not just the 70s. Elections can be quite interesting, but... This one was new to me. I remember John yeah. Anderson, um, but that's pretty much it. I, I didn't know yeah. the backstory of Kennedy running against Carter. I didn't know that Reagan and Bush kind of hated one another, or it said Reagan hated Bush, um, but then got brought him on. I never knew that they even toyed with the idea of a Reagan-Gerald Ford ticket, where you know they, they were supposed to unite the party and ford thought he would be a co-president and when reagan found that out he said fuck that noise and and went to bush very fascinating read um just because yeah. i'm slow doesn't mean i don't like it like i'm picking it the only book i've ever read slowly was not atlas shrugged what was the other one by ann rand the fountainhead uh, the fountainhead I read that slowly because I would read about a page and get so angry and say, this is the stupidest (laughs) goddamn thing I've ever read in my life. And I would put it down for several days, but I I figured I should at least finish it because she was so, you know, popular. People liked her, praised her. So at least I could say, yes, I read one of her books and she is shit. So the fact that I'm slow on this one has nothing to do with with my enjoyment of it. I, I am enjoying this book. I do believe the first time we uh, met, you attacked me viciously for reading Atlas Shrugged uh, under the assumption that I wasn't reading it ironically. I do not remember that. Everybody remembers right. things I don't. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, Camelot's End. We, To me, when I described it to you and you thought you'd read it, um, I felt that they could have gone through this entire book 
and just eliminated dates and swapped out names uh, Carter and Kennedy with Clinton and Sanders, and it would have been pretty much the exact same story. You said the same thing, except you flipped the characters. Um, And I thought that was interesting, especially when you explained it. My take was that Carter had the the votes, he had the delegates, um, and Kennedy just kept beating it into the ground just like Sanders did, which was went from state to state, kept losing, kept losing delegates, and didn't matter. Like, he, he just was in it to run as a spoiler, thinking that, he could somehow... Oh, he wanted to go to the um, uh, convention and get the the delegate holders to flip. And yeah. that's exactly what Sanders did. And the interesting thing I found behind that is the reason delegate holders won't flip is because of old-school politics, where everything was decided behind closed doors and the popular vote didn't matter, and that pissed the public off. So finally they said, all right, the delegates have to match the public. And so for Sanders to say he wanted them to switch, it was pretty interesting. Well, okay, so I read it differently. So the um, Fair enough. Firstly, by the way, people in smoky rooms making decisions, I, I, I'm kind of more, in, after the last election and what happened with the Republicans, I'm kind of more in favor of that. They seem to know better. Um, but the, <laughs> but the, um, the way I looked at it was, uh, firstly, the difference between Carter and Clinton was Clinton was not an incumbent president, even though she carried herself like that from the very beginning. There was a level of entitlement to that campaign, which I think was just generally quite nauseating. Uh, so C- Carter uh, himself, when he, like Carter was uh, brilliant in how he actually beat Ford uh, and got the nomination. Like, he was the first person to do really, really uh, stringent polling in, on in every kind of uh, state that he ran in, the primaries um, that he did, it was it was a very technical, technically astute campaign, um, and that's what he had. Uh, that's how he'd gotten there in the first place. And it was basically, I think, America needed some sort of sorbet after Nixon. That it was uh, the um, after Watergate, everything like that. There was just this basically with somebody with absolutely no uh, dirt on him whatsoever, and uh, like uh, basically a nobody peanut farmer from uh, Georgia. Uh, was like, okay, we need something that is soothing and, and a balm after every, everything that we've gone through. So, like, that's how he got in there in the first first place. So he was pretty much an outsider. He wasn't really a Democrat as well in the same way that Sanders wasn't. Like, uh, Carter was, he was a Democrat, but he was a Southern Democrat. Uh, in the book, it kind of even goes into that, how he had to run a fairly racist campaign to uh, win the governor of Georgia, Georgia the second time. Uh, the guy he'd beaten, uh, did you read a bit about the guy he beat for the governorship? Yeah, I'm, when I say yeah. that, I'm, not, I'm, I'm, he, I'm at the very end where he has just yeah, yeah. conceded the presidential election to Reagan. So I'm yeah, not in the middle. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I've read all that. Yeah, no, but the dude who he had, uh, who he lost to the first time he ran, uh, was uh, was attacking uh, um, uh, African Americans with an axe handle, trying to stop them from getting into a store because of like segregation. So like you're talking about like kind of the, the the that was the level that you had to compete at in Georgia. So um, Car- Carter was kind of like uh, wasn't like uh, he wasn't like Democrat royalty like Kennedy. So. Um, Kennedy's run when I was reading that there's an arrogance to it you don't get to like drown somebody in a lake accidentally or unaccidentally and then um what you call it uh well or accidentally but um what you call it uh, you don't get to drown someone in a lake and then like years later what you call it attempt to uh run for president it, it, it like the, the level of arrogance to run after that is in your background was insane 
Well, the reason he did that is because it hadn't hurt him as a senator. I mean, he kept getting reelected, and it would pop up and go away. So that was yeah. interesting. But I, I think more the arrogance of Kennedy was the, it's my turn, where yes. my brother did it, my and my brother did it and won. My other brother was on path to do it before he was shot, yeah. and... Uh, I'm going to care. I mean, look at the title of the book, um, yeah. Camelot's End. Like, th- th- this was his destiny. It was manifest destiny for him. And so I hear what you say when you say that um, he was the Clinton character. So it's funny because yeah. there could be a mix of both because um, go- going uh, just the... He was kind of the Fredo of the Kennedy brothers, though, in fairness. <laughs> that is an apt comparison. I like that. <laughs> but it's just, to me, what's fascinating is... Having not known any of this, you, you just watching it happen again in 2016, where the, the the Democratic Party fractures and then everybody loses, mm-hmm. and it is in, there, there are so many reasons. Like people, for some reason, like to latch on one reason that Hillary Clinton lost. They they pick one thing and say that's it. When it was a perfect storm of everything, it was Russian interference. Even if that only swayed the election by you know, half a percentage, that's a lot of people, uh, or if it swayed enough voters a half a percent wise, um, her inability to campaign in certain swing states and be likable, the Comey letter, um, I mean, just, you could go on and on, her, or like you said, her but, but attitude. But Sanders endorsed her, like, he, he yeah, did, right, he did. Her. but you can't, you can't run against her forever and take it all the way to the end, and then get people inflamed and impassioned, and then tell them, okay, now it's her turn, and, and that was the other thing, I, when she picked Tim Kaine, I think that was her biggest mistake. Mm-hmm. You talk about uniting the party, bring yeah. Sanders on. But she, at that point, hated Sanders, and she couldn't get past her own ego, and that was probably the final straw. If she had brought him on, then his most ardent supporters probably would have bit the bullet and voted for her. But, so, but the whole point is, like, just to watch it happen over and over and over, like, it was just—it was a fascinating read. To, to, you, it could yeah. have all been avoided. I, I didn't, see, but I, d- I definitely didn't see the parallels. Okay, so when 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 I I followed Sanders Clinton fairly closely after the uh, up until the convention, he was tr- so. Bo- you have to remember as well, just time and context. Neither of them thought it was impossible that they would lose to Donald Trump. His campaign was falling apart. So they were having a convention with the Anayan governing, which was definitely overconfident as it looked, but that was the context of, of what they were doing. So it was a very policy-heavy kind of uh, convention. So uh, Sanders uh, recognized that the power that he had uh, with the delegates that he did have was kind of gaining leverage over Clinton to get policies enacted. Now, and it was all aspirational because Republicans held Congress at the time, but there was, a, there was a belief that Trump was going to be such a toxic candidate that it could have been a wave election. And therefore, they weren't just like competing to win an election. They'd have pretty much seen it that they were already going to win. So policy points became really, really important. Like, on the flip side, the Republicans didn't give a damn. Paul Manafort was writing stuff about the Ukraine and Georgia into the Senate team of the Republican Party uh, manifesto because they weren't really planning to win in any major way. It was it was it was just a shit show. So um, 
I, I, I saw what I felt what Sanders was doing was just using what you do in politics. You use the power that you have to leverage as many gains as you as you possibly can. I didn't get that with what Kennedy was doing. Kennedy, it did seem to be an ego trip. trip something. Like, it was interesting when they went back into his past that he he never really wanted to be a politician in the first place. His dad basically told him that he had to be one, and there was this kind of there was this kind of constant thing of having to live in the shadows of his brothers, which much must have been pretty tough. Uh, especially with all of the trauma that he must have experienced in, in his life and, and as a family that they did. But, like, there was an arrogance to what he did, like the not raising the hand of Carter at the convention, just the basic stuff. Like, he, he, you can't tell me that as a Kennedy, he didn't know about the optics of what he needed to do at that convention. Whereas, well, that's what I, I was just going to... Yeah. That was... I was just going to point that out because... Um, he did the same. You, you talk about uh, Sanders using his leverage to to push for his agenda. That is exactly what the book said Kennedy did um, right after the convention. Like he he sort of yeah. half assed endorsed Carter, yeah. but then he kept pushing. You know, like he went on the campaign trail for Carter in the past couple months and turned them into Kennedy rallies. There's there are yeah. several instances where they say, and Sanders did not do that. But uh, but so. The, the parallel is uh, anyway. I, I interrupted myself with my own thought. So Kennedy would go on the campaign trail for Carter and end up, you know, like Kennedy Ke getting a Kennedy <laughs> chant started, which helped no one. But yeah. the, Sanders and Kennedy to do the same thing, which was they they had this power and they leveraged it. They said, "This is what I want," and I agree with what you say. It's because they both thought the election was a, a gimme. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And I don't think that everyone, I don't think Reagan was ever seen as a gimme in that situation. Like there was the Clinton Sanders felt they were going in against an absolute, like there was going to be a walkover. No matter what they did, all they had to not be was Donald Trump, which is pretty easy for everyone except Donald Trump. But uh, Carter uh, was going into a very, very tough election. The um, other book I read focused a little bit on a, a bit more on the whole kind of what the aftermath. And one of the things I always found was give, give the name was, of that uh, book again. If you didn't uh, earlier, I can't remember Timothy oh. something. <laughs> I, I'll, I'll find it after. Um, but uh, one of the things that he was saying, uh, in, in, remember him writing a lot about, was the idea that the uh, evangelical Christians who'd supported Carter switched to Reagan uh, because of... Um, uh, one, and it was a Nixon decision to stop letting them uh, have segregationist schools get tax-free breaks uh, to have their tax-free status, which was actually the major start of the religious right becoming a major uh, political force. It was, it was all based on segregationalism again. So, oh yeah, Carter it's always had, based on racism. Yeah, yeah, and Carter had woven this very t like t thin tapestry, treaded uh, through the eye of a needle, kind of this tapestry that he he needed to do to win. And once he lost the evangelicals, he wasn't as popular in the other places, and and Reagan was able to steamroll him. It was a much tougher election for him. So for, for Carter to not kind of, or for uh, Kennedy to not uh, see the the uh, the kind of Reagan juggernaut that was coming down the line and to uh, go on the way he did at the convention and afterwards was absolute hubris uh, and was uh, far different to what Sanders did, where he, he fell in line. He gave a decent speech towards Clinton, at, the, at, at um, encouraged his supporters. And what he said at the convention, uh, what he said at the convention, I think, was something along the lines of, look, I can tell my voters to vote for Hillary Clinton, but she has to earn them. And I don't think she particularly did. I wouldn't disagree with that at all. But yeah. I, I, I did bring up something when we were chatting on the side before. Did, I mentioned the book Shattered inside Hillary Clinton's doomed yeah. campaign. Had you read that? No. No. Oh. I'd, I'd, I'd heard some interviews from the people who wrote it. But I okay, because it. you sort of 
poo-pooed it. You want to? What did you say to me? You said it was. It was uh, written by insiders. It was an insider. It was a very belt. Her campaign seemed very beltway, so they were very much uh, running off what the uh, either focus groups or kind of um, what what certain people on Twitter were saying. Like that, like Nate Silver, for example, on Five Thirty Eight, the, their campaign was actively checking those numbers, and they were nothing close to really what actually happened. So there was definitely a finger not being on the pulse kind of uh, moment for uh, the Clinton campaign. Well, I'm just for, for as far as that book goes, Shattered. Um, it may have been written by insiders because they were. It probably was written by insiders. I, I didn't yeah. pay much attention to the authors. I just read the book. But what's mm-hmm. interesting is, even if they were insiders to the campaign, they were handpicked to write the story of the first woman president. Mm-hmm. And as it was going along, they were like, holy shit, this is not what we're seeing. And so they were yeah. taking meticulous notes. So even if it was supposed to be one thing, it turned out to be something completely different. They were there for the whole ride. And... It, you talk about what you just mentioned about Nate Silver and the polls and them. Yeah. From what from what I remember of the book, and I read it over a year and a half ago, but two things stood yeah. out to me, which were, one, uh, her campaign was dis- in disarray. It was like too many cooks in the kitchen. Uh, nobody really knew who to answer to, and everybody had all sorts of ideas that it, it was just... But another was that they had... Bill Clinton. They had William Jefferson Clinton, a guy that had won the presidency twice. He won election and then re-election, and they didn't listen to him. There, there's, a, yeah. there's a segment where he was saying, especially after Brexit happened, he said, that could happen here. You have these yeah. alienated rural voters. You need to go after them, white voters. And I remember The Daily Show talked about it before the election, too. They, they made a, a big joke about it, saying, hey, you know who the important swing vote is this election? White people. Finally, the white vote matters. Uh, they turned it into a big joke. It was very funny. But in the book, they're, 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 they're poo-pooing him, saying, ah, oh, what do you know, old man? You ran in the 90s. We got mm-hmm. the cities. We got the urban vote. We got the, you know, the, the female vote. They completely ignored him. And they sort of not, I don't want to say pandered or catered to the woke left, but they definitely ignored the the white vote that they needed because they thought it was just going to be there or that it wouldn't be enough or, or that enough of them would ignore Trump and... Yeah, so she lost. It was another. She, you know, go back she, to. She overestimated the American public, is what you're saying a little bit, uh, in comparison of like the the. I, I, it was that thing of like uh, I always felt the election was, uh, and and I think Hillary Clinton actually would have been a really really good president. Um, I in my older age I've grown. I, I want all politicians just to be grey pragmatists who are smart and you know know how to give like know how to speak in a kind of staccato pol- political way, but are actually competent managers and you can just keep the lights on for four years um, the idea that like an entertaining car crash beat a, a competent um, um, manager was always probably going to happen uh, and it's just we, it was, it's all it's all easy being wise after a fan, uh, uh, the fact but what Trump was given was people the right to be as obnoxious and uh, validated as they wanted to be and that's a really powerful thing like Reagan did kind of similar a similar kind of job when he ran as well it was very much um, what, what I what, just taking it back into the book okay so the Malay speech in Carter which I think is one of the most powerful and brilliant speeches an American uh, president has ever given which the book also was, says the book said that yeah, it, it, it does yeah it landed and people yeah. loved it and then somehow yeah. right after it got twisted into the Malay speech which it's known yeah. for even though that word was never used yeah that's the last president to ask Americans to act like an adult 
you know, because it was it, it wasn't a you know, precedent like you had Kennedy and Roosevelt, and they'd all the Kennedy speech of ask not what you can do for your country, but what your country can do for you. It was about this idea of not just rights but service, and every president. And then uh, right, and when you look at where things were at, like with the when Carter was uh, president, the bor the borrowing of the country wasn't out of control. Uh, we were reaching kind of peak oil rates of actual oil production at the time, so prices were going up kind of appropriate to what was left on the planet. Um, the, uh, what I love about Jimmy Carter is he was the first president to put solar panels on the White House. Reagan took them down within a couple of weeks. Uh, which yeah, it was I, like I was, Trump was tearing out the organic garden. Yeah, it's like exactly, they go in yeah. and they make this stupid yeah. move and, that's just sort of uh, a signal as, all right, this this is, it's it's. What I'm doing is meaningless in the grand scheme of things, but the yeah. optics of it are me strutting yeah. my stuff. It's a swinging dick move. It is, and it's symbolic of, of just uh, we're the people with the big stick and everyone has to do what I, we say without recognizing that America's kind of strength always lay on its kind of value system of its uh, the idea that, like, as, as a world leader, I had the potential to be more benevolent, you know, um, with the Marshall Plan, things like that after World War II. Like, it wasn't just we're the people with the big stick. We're actually offering something good. Uh, when America's well, let me interrupt you quickly. Yeah. To be fair, that only came about because of <laughs> World War One, when it was like, yeah. we beat you, so now fuck you, and we're going <laughs> to kick the shit out of you continually yeah. while you're down, which caused the rise of Hitler. And then after that was yeah. the beat, they said, well, let's see. We could, This is what we did last time. Maybe this time we could rebuild them and act <laughs> out of kind. You know. So it's not like we, we that no. was just not out of benevolence. It was a lesson no. learned. Absolutely not, but it was still uh, really powerful. It helped Europe rebuild, and it was uh, and there were really unique circumstances, like the circumstances that allowed America to be a superpower are just unrepeatable. Kind of the idea of making America great again. You're not going to get the same uh, uh, capacity for just continuous twenty five years of growth as being the only remaining superpower after a world war that decimated everybody. So, like that's kind of wh where you're looking at. And uh, Carter was looking at the world in in that context, in terms of let's just blow the crap out of everywhere to feel good about ourselves. Uh, let's actually try and be world leaders in a way that's ethically and morally different to what's been done before. And, and I think the whole problem with ethics is they're nice to talk about, but they're incredibly, incredibly complicated and difficult to do, and they don't give you warm fuzzies in the process of doing them. Whereas Reagan was just going to invade Granada and Panama and have these big dick swinging shows into small countries uh, that, like, um, that couldn't defend themselves. Uh, so Again, that idea of just feeling good about yourself with kind of uh, aggressive uh, wars that you couldn't help but win, uh, couldn't help but win, and that was uh, that was the um, the, the kind of lost then of uh, America as a moral power. I think in a lot of ways, um, which you've kind of seen subsequently uh, in the last twenty years, really happen. And then, if America doesn't have that, what does it have? Because we're not we're not having fighting wars with nuclear weapons or bombs anymore. It's all much more subtle, and the uh, America's kind of power as a moral uh, centerpiece, uh, the more that gets undermined and, and driven down by Trump, the more vulnerable America is in general. Well, I think that's why, uh, and and I, I'm not promoting or supporting any uh, politician right now, but I think that's why Biden's opening salvo was, we can't take four more years of this. I, I don't remember the video, but that was his approach point. It was not hey, uh, let's get the economy back on track, yeah. or hey, let's reduce gas prices, or hey, we need more solar power or wind. 
he strictly, his opening video was, this is not who America is. We need yeah. to be a better, more empathetic country. That, and mm-hmm. so what you just said is, I think why that's how, why Biden broke out with that opener. Yeah. And, and, and that it is, it's the most important, I'm very much a single issue voter at this point, <laughs> and I don't really care about anything other than uh, Trump not being the president, but um, the, the also the idea of like, you're competing in the last 15 years where the electorate has become much more narcissistic. Like everyone's posting their views like they matter at this point. So people have this idea now of my issues are as important as any other issues. And it's much harder to get people to coalesce around a single candidate at this point. People do get incredibly hurt and personalized when their things don't go well. Um, and you've seen that a little bit with the people who followed Sanders. And I, I totally followed Sanders. I, I, I say I worked in the Sanders campaign for about an hour. I, I think I went to one house and then someone started shouting at me and I went home because it was cold and I didn't really care that much. But um, what do you call it? Uh, like, I liked everything that he was saying. I was, I was uh, very, very much kind of in favor of him. But, like, a lot of people left, like, I don't know a lot of people, but there was statistically enough people left the Sanders campaign and then voted for Trump, which I don't know how you can intellectually square. But I think it was just anger. The, I think it was just yeah, selfishness. Yeah, it, it is. And that's what you're looking at, that kind of narcissistic element now to the electorate that you shouldn't be underestimated. And also the fact that naked self-interest will play into all this and that the candidates will tear each other apart trying to get to Trump and leave them all each other decimated by the chance that time that they get there. And you're looking very uh, <laughs> terrifyingly at a, two-Trump, a two-term Trump presidency. And that's uh, why I... I, I Jake and I talked about this uh, on yeah. the regular podcast. The 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 and I pronounce her name wrong each time. Kamala Harris. Kamala Harris. Yeah. When when she went after Biden for quote praising segregationists, which he never did. Yeah. It it that offended me just on an intellectual level, which is yeah, you're being opportunistic and you're not helping anyone. But yeah. I want to go back two minutes to what you said, uh, and it actually to the electorate. Did you see a post that went viral? Um, I don't know, maybe three, four months ago. Go, it's called "Democratic nominees are not clay pigeons." <laughs> oh, but I like that idea. <laughs> oh, well, I mean, yeah, it's this yeah. very long post that I'm not even going to yeah. begin to read. But it, the the you, you got it right away, just the way you laughed yeah. and said, you, it, "I mean, it said we can't do this. We we'll no. right now we have 20 candidates, which is way too much." But you know, she goes on this list of not likable enough. Boom, not an inspiring yeah. enough speaker. Boom, said that awkward thing that one time. Boom. That we just, like you say, we focus on one thing, and if we don't mm-hmm. get that, we dismiss them right out of hand because we are looking to be catered to like a child. We, are, we, we, yeah. want, we're, we want our politicians to treat us like children and just give us exactly what we want, and we can't have that. We need one that's no. going to maybe yell at us a bit. Yeah, and particularly on the left, like we are, we're, you're looking at the Judean People's Front versus the People's Front of Judea a lot of these times. Like <laughs> I need to watch that movie. Oh, I love <laughs> yeah, that so much. Exactly, but that's exactly like splitting on, uh, and this is what the left does. And I've I've been in, like I, I, in, in Ireland, I was always into left wing politics and everything like that. But everyone, like, uh, it always ends up with someone like two people who could maybe do something productive, arguing about whether Trotsky or Lenin was right. So it, it, you have these kind of this puritanical kind of view on the left and fundamentalist left-wing politics about purity and it always just ends up destroying because what happens is you get this fractured identity policy politics and the right doesn't have that problem because they coalesce around power 
And so when you have a unified uh, kind of singular identity, which just wants power coming back against these fractured, which if you want to look at the Weimar Republic in Germany, you can see how that works uh, against these fractured kind of uh, uh, people wanting their individual slice of freedom. Uh, it doesn't work very well. And, and you can see it in, uh, in Britain at the moment. And I don't know what the solution is because I don't think like I, I, I'm more traditional uh, hard left and that's the way I've always been in my mindset. But I don't see that resonating anymore and I don't see that working anymore. And so you've kind of got the wishy-washy third way central left, which I, I also don't know how you get that, how you, how you get people inspired behind that. Um, and then you have the kind of fractured identity politics. So I don't know where the left actually goes. Like the right was able to unify around Trump. Like, so they were able to throw over all their principles just for power. And, and that's what they tend to do. As long as they can have power, they can deal with any sort of noxious person at the front of it. Yeah, because they uh, got their two Supreme Court judges. That's all they yeah. wanted. They, they couldn't care less. They, uh, you know, he shoots his mouth off. But, you know, at the end of the day, uh, the wealthy got tax cuts and Supreme Court got loaded against uh, democracy. I'm sorry. I mean, the Supreme Court, uh, you know, is right. full of wise uh, uh, people. Yeah, and it's the prisoner's dilemma. That, but like uh, that, that whole thing of like every time the Democrats then go the same kind of way where they weaken the levers of the, the system that's there, uh, the Republicans just rough, run roughshod and double down on that every single time. So the idea is, well, we need to fight fire with fire. I, I don't necessarily think that works because you, you um, at what point does that uh, does that serve the group who just want power and not the group who actually have some ethical principles beneath it as, as fractured as the democrats are you know there's, there's still principles i be believe a lot more than whatever it is the republicans are going for um so uh, you know I, 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 and I and i and i don't see it writing itself in the primary i haven't watched much of the primary so far because i'm trying to avoid news in general i've watched uh, zero I, of it I, yeah. I everything i know i pick up on the next day's headlines or in the news yeah. podcasts i listen to and I'm fairly fatalistic about the future of all of that anyway. I, I think that you're looking at kind of the, um, the, you're looking at the collapse of kind of like social democracy in a lot of ways. And I don't know what replaces it. I, it's kind of scary to think of. So that's why I just do a lot more meditation uh, <laughs> and things like that. <laughs> Ignore it and it will go away. It is head in the sand. Um, yeah. Well, I'm glad you popped your head out of the sand to read the book and talk <laughs> to me about it. No problem, Nathan. And I recommend you read Shattered, even if it was written by insiders. I think you might find something interesting about it. It's still a bit too close to present-day politics for me to to read it and not get terribly, terribly upset. So I, I, I might flick through it. But the, I can look at, I can now accept that Reagan got elected in the 80s and not get upset. So that book was easy to read because it, was, <laughs> it wasn't re-traumatizing me from November 2016 at all. Ah, well, that makes sense. Maybe I need to go further back and read Lincoln or something like that. I don't know. Uh, you just watch the movie. That's you're in America now. That's what Americans <laughs> yeah, do. Exactly. They don't they don't read books. <laughs> they watch the movie. All right, you got any books you want to recommend, Mister Colin Ryan, Ireland well, to Iowa? Well, the Jonathan Haidt book is the one I always recommend if you're reading politics. That helped me not hate people. Um, the Jonathan Haidt book. Of is that the Haidt. one I read? The one you yeah, recommended? Yeah, yeah. His new one's good as well. The Coddling of the American Mind, which I got. I think that's the one I read actually. Oh, okay. I the didn't one read the yeah. 
The one before it is the one where he like kind of looks at the different views about like again rather than demonizing Republicans or demonizing Democrats and the like. It's the um, idea of we just look at things through a different moral filter. Oh wait, no, uh, that is the one I read right there. Yeah, the, uh, the self righteous mind. Yes, the yes, mind. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He breaks it down as far as. Uh, Republicans see this and this, and Democrats see this and this, and that's just a, a viewpoint. As I, yeah. And I'm, I'm being very vague, but it's because I read the book months ago, and I can't remember a goddamn thing about it. Yeah, and it's how you kind of it's moral. The, the moral psychology is the idea of it, but the whole idea being that if you can accept that people look at the world through these filters, then you can have civilized conversation and not demonize each other. And again, what happens is when it just gets into a power struggle, it's whoever can accumulate the most amount of power, which always tends to suit the right rather than the left. Well, there you go. All right, man. Thanks for carving out some time Thanks, to talk Nate. to me. Book, re- book review uh, podcast, basically. 